Well, I can say that um, I'll just add my word. I couldn't be happier and uh, more grateful to God for bringing Jeff to us and Christina and the kids. And um, so it's, it's, for me, it's just a really, it's a good deal. And uh, I'm, I'm probably f- feeling more thankful than anybody uh, because, you know, um, I just love to be able to think of what's ahead for the church. And, um, you, you know, when you stop, you know, you come to the end of your Time is a, is a lead pastor. You, you want things to just keep going straight up and, and um, to God's glory. So um, praise God. Thank God for that. Beck and I uh, did a trip to Minneapolis recently, and on the way back, uh, one of the things that we ended up talking about are the books that we've read over our lifetime that we would put at the top ten books. On our list, and it was, it, was, it was a fun conversation. We went back and forth with different books, and 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 then we also realized as we were talking, it's not just simply a matter of what of our what are our top ten favorite books, but also what would we put as our top books that that you know spoke to us at different seasons of our life. For example, when we were parents, young parents, you know, books on parenting. I remember uh, the book Dare to Discipline. Uh, the strong-willed child, Dobson wrote. You know, in fact, there's a new, there's a, a, a new version of that one, the new strong-willed child. I, I wonder what does that child look like? You know, the new one. But if, you know, and and when we're in college, books on a, on apologetics. You know, in that season of life, and and then books that meant meant a great deal to us in different circumstances in our life, where those books just spoke to us. You know, they gave us perspective and wisdom and encouragement that we needed when we were in those circumstances. And it's just all kinds of books. We love reading biographies and historical books. And, and then there's, you know, all those books that deal specifically with our, uh, the whole subject of our spiritual life. And we look back in those books and we realize, you know, the ones that we read, how essential they were for for our own, our own spiritual growth. And that, that goes all the way back to when we were, when we were uh, in high school. And, and, and we agree that, that the books that, that, the one thing that's common to the books that, that have had the most impact on us is their connection to, to Scripture, to God's Word, that, they're, that, that the truth that they give is based on, on the truth of, of Scripture. And a great example of this is Henry Cloud's book, Nine Things You Simply Must Do, that where I've done something I've never done before, I've ta- in, in all these years of preaching, where I've taken a book like that and, and, and the main points, the principles that he brings out in that book really have become the, the series, this nine-week series, because he has nine principles that he gives. And, and Henry Cloud's a, a follower of Jesus Christ, devoted to Christ. I've heard him speak up close and, and to large groups of people. He's, uh, he's been a clinical psychologist for for uh, 30 plus years, he's, he's, uh, he's somebody who's had, you know, just an, an amazing uh, uh, opportunity to, 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 to work with people in such a close-up relationship for many years. And so when, when he speaks or he writes something, I, I, I want to listen and I want to read what he writes. And this book is a great example. And, and what he does is he gives nine principles that he's seen lived out by people who are very successful in life. Nine ways they respond to difficult circumstances and difficult people. And I think we can all relate to both of those, right? Difficult circumstances and difficult people. I bet we've all had every, every bit of that in our own lives. Now, 
by success, he's, he's not defining it in the, uh, you know, the limited kind of a way that our world defines it as, you know, fame and fortune and, and you know, these uh, remarkable achievements. I think we all know that it's possible to, to, to have a lot of money. It's possible to be very famous. It's possible to, to make great achievements and yet really be a tragic failure in other areas of your life. And so his definition of success is far deeper. It, it includes having healthy relationships, not repeating the same mistakes, have, having a sense of purpose in our lives and being, being in control of who we are. It's, it, it's where life, all of life is working for you and you're, you're able to have a, a profound sense of joy and fulfillment that isn't dependent on, on your circumstances and isn't dependent on people. And so this morning we come to the fourth of, of nine principles that Dr. Cloud discovered in Successful People, and he just stated it very simply. In fact, the title of the chapter is Do Something, and, and then he writes, this is, this is one of the things he wrote, He's, he said, people who succeed do something instead of nothing. They ask themselves the question, what can I do to make this situation better? They, they tend to call on themselves as the first source to correct difficult situations. It, it does not matter whether they think they're to blame or not. Even if someone else is at fault, they will ask themselves, what can I do to make things better? And so he makes that statement, and then he impacts all of what this means. Now, I, I thought about this, and... I wondered to myself, you know, after, as I look back on 38 years of being a pastor and working so closely with people and having so many conversations with people, I wonder if this fourth principle might not be the most important to understand and live out in our lives. I, I wondered about that this week. And, and I say this because I've had so many conversations where people excuse Poor choices and bad, beha bad behavior even excuse the decision to do nothing, either because of something, you know, their circumstances, something that happened to them in the past or it's happening in their life right now, or because of some very difficult people that they have in their life and things that those people have done or said, uh, done to them or said about them. And, 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 and so often, I mean, I, I, have, I have seen people blame their circumstances or other people for the way they are and what they do. And, and because they do this, they never move forward with their own lives and in, in a healthy and a good way. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I know it's an easy thing to do. I've got to tell you, there, there have been times... Since our son Greg died three years ago, that everything in me, you know, wants to just shut down and, 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 and remove myself from people and isolate myself, you know, just pull inside of myself. There, there have been so many times when, when bad thinking has come into my mind and, and everything in me wants to dwell on that, just wants to keep thinking that way. And it, and it would be so easy for me to excuse it and say, you know what, I have every right to do that because I lost my son, Greg. And I could have made some pretty, I mean, really bad choices and I could have excused myself for making them. And, and I think, I would say that's, an, that's a very easy thing to do when you're hurting inside. 
At some point in all of our lives, I think we all face what I'm talking about this morning. And you might be there today. You might be there right now. You, you're in the midst of some really, really hard circumstances or you have some really difficult people in your life. And if you are, before I say anything else this morning, I want to say this, and I can say it from experience, okay? Jesus Christ can and Jesus Christ will give you the strength you need to be able to live out the principle that we're going to talk about today. I know it. He absolutely will. Because he's done that for both Becky and myself for the last three years. I saw him do it for my parents. Because of my mom's illness and, and her severe physical disability so that she died at the young age of 58, my parents had a life that was very, very hard. And one where it could have been so easy for them uh, to, to become bitter and to excuse all kinds of bad behavior and bad choices in their life. But, but I got to tell you, there was not a time that my mom, and, my mom or dad rationalized doing wrong where they excused it. The very opposite. They did everything they possibly could to make life as good for their family, you know. As they could. I mean, they just, they just did it. And if they could come up here this morning and, and, and I could ask them the question, how did you do it? They, they would say they did it because Jesus Christ was so faithful. God gave them every bit of strength that they needed to do that. And, 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 and I would say that out of everything that my mom and dad did for, their, for us kids, this is one of the greatest gifts that they gave us to live out this principle. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to, I'd like to talk about the principle. I'd like to see three things that are true of the person who lives it out. And then I want to give you an example from the Old Testament in the life of a, a man by the name of Joseph. So uh, quick summary, very quick summary of what Dr. Cloud wrote in the book, Nine Things uh, You Simply Must Do. And I, I would just say it'd be worth it. Uh, well, first of all, I'd say get the book. If you, if you haven't, read it. Um, I read it several times. It's fantastic. It's so practical. Uh, but if you, if you haven't got the book yet, write, write these things down as I, as I go through it, if you'd like. I think you'd, you'll find it worthwhile, okay? So first of all, the person, the person who lives out this principle is proactive. They do not see themselves as a victim of people or circumstances. If, if there's a problem that they're facing, they do something to solve it. They, they see themselves as a part of the solution. So first of all, they're proactive. Second, this person is controlled from inside, not outside. Who they are and what they do is not determined by their circumstances or by other people. They're in control rather than being controlled by anything or anyone. Very important. Third, this person has a, a what I would say a healthy sense of, of independence. They, they do not look to other people to do what they should be doing themselves. They, uh, I'd like to put it this way. They, they lean into the challenging and hard stuff of life. They're they're active. They're not passive. They, they don't wait for the solution to whatever it is they're facing to come to them. They do what needs to be done to find the solution. All right. Now, I think you could take all three of those. Proactive, uh, in control, 
of yourself and having a certain sense of independence, you can take all three of these and put them under two words, which I think provide another way of stating the principle. The word ownership and the word responsibility. And I think we all know what that means, right? To own my life means that I know it's my responsibility to work at improving it no matter how adversely my life has been affected. No matter how tough my life is, it's my responsibility to deal with it. And i got to tell you, living this way is the polar opposite of living and acting like a victim where we blame, we blame our circumstances or we blame people for not doing what we can and should do ourselves, okay? So uh, I hope Dr. Cloud will, will forgive me for this, and I don't think he'll ever know, so it'll be okay. I, I like to restate his principle. I think, I've got a, I think I actually have a better way of saying it. I think it's, I would say it this way, it's to take ownership and responsibility. That's, that's how I would have titled that chapter. Take ownership and responsibility. That's the principle that I'm putting in front of us this morning. We're just, and we're just going to keep that on the screen as I giving, I, I, I want to give you an example now. And this is really fun. I love, see, I love seeing this and, and it's a lot of fun to be able to share it with you this morning. I want to show you how Joseph from the Old Testament lived this out in his, his own life, this principle of taking ownership and responsibility. And I don't know how well you know Joseph, he uh, is pretty remarkable. He has thir- the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis are devoted to his life. That's a lot of, that's a lot of space that God gives him in, 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 in Scripture, in, in, in God's Word. So pretty good, I would say, 13 chapters. And what we discover about Joseph is that his life was about as challenging and difficult as it gets. Both the circumstances and the people in his life were very, very challenging, very difficult. And yet through it all, he took ownership and responsibility. So uh, here, here, let me just play this out for you. Here's, here's what impresses me from the get-go, okay? What we discover is that he began living this way in the first 17 years of his life before he even left home, okay? Now, I think we're going to probably be able to relate to this to some extent. I'm guessing that there's more than a few of us who grew up in homes that were challenging, where life wasn't easy. Either because of some unique circumstances that complicated a whole lot of things, making life a lot more difficult than what most people experience. And I would say I grew up in that kind of a home because of my mom's illness. The stuff that my mom and dad had to deal with was pretty unique. Most people didn't have to deal with that. So life was hard in the home I grew up in. Or it might be that, that you grew up in a home uh, that was hard to live in because of parents who came into their marriage with a lot of dysfunction and they created a very dysfunctional home so that the home you grew up in wasn't healthy and it wasn't helpful at all. And I'm guessing, I mean, I've had enough conversations with people that I know that there's more than a few of us here today who have grown up in homes like that. What I discover, and what, you know, when you read the, those chapters in Genesis, is that Joseph's life, his home life, was about as dysfunctional as it could possibly get. 
Even before his birth, so much had set the stage for a very, very troubled family. And and I'm not going to take the time to give you all the details of how it happened, but Joseph, Joseph was born into a family with a dad. His dad's name was Jacob. His dad was married to two women, Leah and, and Rachel. One he loved, Rachel, the other one not so much, not so much. And i got to tell you, this is not a situation of two wives being best friends. Okay, have you, have you seen that? And this is the truth. I've only watched like a few minutes, okay? <laughs> Honestly. Okay, have you ever seen that show, Sister Wives, that re- reality show? I mean, crazy. In fact, in fact Lorinda, Lorinda brought me up a picture of them because I was thinking about showing that this morning and I forgot. But here's this guy standing with his wives, and they're all holding hands. I go like, right. Yeah, they're holding hands. And then the other hand is like, you know, that, that, that kind of a thing, all right? I mean, I, I just don't believe it for a minute. This was not a happy home that Joseph grew up in. These two women were determined to outdo the other. And, and you know what their biggest form of competition was? Who could have the most kids? You know, and, and Leah, who, who, who Jacob didn't love, man, she's, she's like a baby factory, you know. She has one kid after another, and they're exactly what dads wanted back then. It was like sons were like the best thing in the world, you know. So, and, and, and then Rachel, Rachel's not able to have kids for many years, so she gets her, her, one of her servant girls to start having kids, I guess that was okay back then. It counted, you know, like if I can't have kids myself, I'll, I'll, I'll have a servant do it. And so they're going back and forth and back and forth. And I'm going like, Jacob must have been like, what is going on here, you know? And, and, and then finally, they end up with, uh, and, and finally Rachel's able to have a son. And, and so Joseph is born. And, and then uh, several years later, she has another child, Benjamin, and she dies in childbirth. And so that's the home Joseph grew up in. His mother's no longer living. His father's old. He has 10 older brothers, and, and, and he has one younger brother. And, and so there was all of this dysfunction that had been going on. And then to make matters worse, Jacob favors Joseph over his other ten sons. It's like it's all about Joseph with, with Jacob. And, 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 and these, these ten brothers watch this. They see this going on for 17 years, and they just, they just they're, they're hating, you know, they hated Joseph. They didn't like him. Now, think about this, though, if you, discover, if you dig into it, you dig deeper, the real reason they hated him wasn't really, wasn't because, I mean, that added to it. It didn't make it any easier. But why they really hated Joseph was his unwillingness to go along with their godless lifestyle. These, these were not good guys, these ten older brothers. And, and Joseph, in, in, in contrast to them, Joseph had made the decision that he was committed to God and he was committed to doing what was right and he wasn't going to be intimidated by his brothers and they hated him for this. And I'd say, here's where Joseph lived out this first principle that we're looking at today. Where he took ownership and responsibility for his own life. You see, Joseph did not see himself as a helpless victim. 
It was none of this, none of this. Oh, you know, poor me, poor me. My brothers, they all hate me. There wasn't any of that. He was in control of himself. He wasn't allowing himself to be controlled by his brothers hating him. He knew. He knew he was responsible for his own life. He was responsible for how he responded to the circumstances in which he lived. You know what, everybody? I'm convinced that this is a major milestone for any person's life. It's a major milestone. And the earlier in life you understand it, and the more convinced you are that it's the way to live, the better you're going to be for it. I really believe it's one, of the, it's one of the most important gifts that my parents gave to me, and I know Becky's parents did the same for her. When I think of what's important for a parent to instill as a conviction in their son or daughter, I would put this one way at the top. You, you go into life without this, and I can tell you, who you are and what you do is always going to be determined by your circumstances and by what other people do and what, by what other people pressure you to do. Now, we're not told why Joseph got this one, but he did. And it's why he did what was right in a family where every one of his older brothers did the very opposite. They were against him for doing it. And, and, and it's what prepared him for a life that would become even more difficult and challenging, which it did. If you know his story, one day his brothers grabbed an opportunity to sell him into slavery in Egypt. And as a 17-year-old young man, he ends up in Egypt, the slave of a high-ranking Egyptian official, a man by the name of Potiphar, who we're told was the captain of the guard. He was, the, he was like the biggest military guy in, in Egypt. And, and so this was Joseph's circumstances. He's only 17 years old. I mean, imagine your 17-year-old son or daughter taken off into slavery in Egypt, and, and he's a slave to a man who could end his life in a minute, in a minute. You see, if there's ever a time a person could see themselves as a helpless victim, controlled by his circumstances, I'd say this is it. This could have been Joseph's response, but it wasn't. Here, here's what we discover about Joseph in the 39th chapter of Genesis. Here's, here's what it says. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. That means he became his right-hand man. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household and, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. With Joseph, in fact, this is kind of, I've got a dot, dot, dot. We go back to that, go to the end of verse 6. It says, with Joseph in charge, he, Potiphar, did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. No, no question. No question about it. God was intimately involved in Joseph's life, guiding him, giving him wisdom, giving him spiritual strength so that Joseph was successful in everything he did for Potiphar. No question about that. God was very much involved. 
But there's another side to this that you and I do not want to miss. God was present and working in Joseph's life because Joseph's heart was open and receptive to God. He surrendered his will to God and he trusted in God's plan for his life. And this meant that now as a slave, he would act with integrity and responsibility. He would be honest in all his dealings with others and he would be hardworking and diligent. In other words... In other words, in one of the hardest circumstances a person could find himself or herself, Joseph lived out this fourth principle. He took ownership and responsibility for his own life. That's what he did. He didn't see himself as a helpless victim. He did what he could to make things better. He wasn't controlled by his circumstances or other people. He, he, he was in control of himself. And he, was, he lived with a healthy sense of independence. He did not expect others to do what he could do himself. So true, everybody. Anytime you're in a hard situation, you have two choices. Either to play the victim and do nothing. You know, still worse, to use it as an excuse for poor choices and bad behavior. And if you do that, I guarantee you everything's going to go south. Or you could do what Joseph did. Joseph took ownership and responsibility, and that's what you can do. And do what you can do to make things better in your life. And if you do, they will be better. The end result for Joseph was a series of promotions until finally he was entrusted with everything that belonged to Potiphar. Incredible success. He goes from being one of, among who, know, who knows how many slaves that Potiphar had to being the guy that, that, that runs the entire household for the top military guy in, in, in Egypt. Pretty impressive. But there's even more to his story. The biblical text tells us that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Well-built and handsome. Not a bad thing, you know, to be well-built and handsome. But it didn't work out so well for Joseph because Potiphar's wife had an eye on him and she liked what she saw. And so day after day, day after day after day, she kept on seducing him. But as aggressive as she was, Joseph was equally adamant that he would not give in to that temptation. <laughs> Again, he, he lived out this fourth principle. He took ownership and responsibility for his own life. He, he was not controlled by his circumstances. He was not controlled by Potiphar's wife. He, he, never, he never went ahead and did what she wanted him to do. And then when he was asked about it, he said, well, you know, we were all alone. I mean, that's the circumstances. I mean, I mean look at her. She's a beautiful woman. I couldn't help myself. It was none of this irresponsible nonsense. Instead, he was determined to honor God and to do what was right. Does that speak to anybody today? Anybody today facing any kind of circumstance in your life where you're tempted to do what you know is wrong and where you're tempted to excuse it and say, well, I just couldn't help it. I was pressured, you know, by other people to do it. You know, whatever it is. 
I got to tell you, don't give in to it. Do what Joseph did. Take ownership and responsibility for doing right. And if you do, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. So what does she do, Potiphar's wife? Well, she sets him up. She accuses him of rape. And, and Potiphar believes her. And, and Joseph, Joseph suddenly finds that everything he had achieved up to that point was totally lost, and he's thrown into a prison. Oh. Once again, it would look like, man, that's like ground zero again. Everything's hopeless. Anybody ever find yourself in that kind of a situation? You've, you've done what is right. I mean, you've done what is right over and over again, and yet you end up losing everything you achieved for no good reason. Boy, it's easy to be bitter when that happens, isn't it? See, Joseph could have become a bitter man, very bitter man. He could have just pulled inside of himself. But you know what he, he did? He continued to trust God. And in trusting God, he was determined to remain faithful to God by doing what was right. And so he repeats in prison what he did, what he did as a slave for Potiphar. He made the most out of a very bad situation. He took ownership and responsibility for his life. And once again, by God's grace, he'd say, by God's grace, I did it. He proved himself as someone who's capable and worthy of trust. And as it was with Potiphar, so it was with the prison warden. He gives Joseph oversight over the entire prison. Gets even better. One day, two of Pharaoh's highest officials, the cupbearer, cup the guy who who tasted his wine before Pharaoh would ever drink it, and the baker, the guy who baked, you know, all the food, was in charge of it. It's like the big guy in the kitchen. Both of them are arrested, and they're put in the prison that Joseph's managing, and time passes, and they each have a dream. Anyone ever have a dream that is as vivid as can be, but you, have, you don't have a clue what it's about? Now, that's what happened to these guys. And so they wake up, and Joseph sees them the next morning, and, and they're very disturbed about this. And, and, and they tell Joseph their dream, and Joseph interprets the meaning of the dream. And it's good news for the cupbearer and bad news for the baker. The cupbearer is going to be restored to his former position, and the baker is going to lose his head. You know, he's done with. He's going to be executed. Well, when Joseph did that for the cupbearer, he said to him, I, you know, he said, could you do me a favor? When you get, when you get back with, with Pharaoh, could you just put in a good word for me? And one week passes, and two weeks pass, and three weeks, and a month, and two months, and six months, and a year, and, and two years pass. Nothing at all. He's still in prison. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And it's a vivid dream. I mean, really vivid. But he cannot, he, he, had, he doesn't have a clue what he means. And, and guess what happens to the cupbearer? He goes like, oh, forgot about Joseph. And he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. 
interpreting his dream. And, and Pharaoh says, well, let's get this guy up here. And he, he has him cleaned up so he's presentable, brings him up to Pharaoh. And, and, and Joseph, Joseph interprets his dream, tells him exactly what's going to happen. And he ends up second only to Pharaoh, Pharaoh himself, over the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And you know how old he was? 30 years old. Now, let me just say, everybody, there's no question this all happened. No question this all happened because of God's faithfulness and God's blessing. Joseph would say, absolutely. It happened because God was so faithful to me. But listen, everybody, not for a minute should we think that this was a one-way deal. Not for a minute. It would never have ended this way if Joseph didn't live out this fourth principle that we focused on this morning. He took ownership and responsibility for his own life. He did not see himself as a helpless victim. He did what he could do to make things better. He was not controlled by his circumstances or other people. He was in control of himself, and he lived with this healthy sense of independence. He didn't expect others to do what he could do for himself. I think it's an amazing story. And what's true for Joseph can be true for every single one of us this morning. It can, it really can, because we have the same God giving us strength today. And I, this is one of those times when I can stand in front of you and I can say, I can, I can say, I believe this is true because I can speak from experience. I got to tell you, losing our son, Greg, it's as fresh with us today as it was three years ago. Last night, I could not get to sleep. I had, I have, if I had four hours of sleep last night, I'm, I'm probably stretching it because I was in such agony over losing Greg. And I got to tell you, everything in me, when I got up this morning and, you know, lucky me, I woke up at 4 o'clock, you know. Everything inside of Steve Maltemeyer this morning did not want to come to this place. Everything inside of Steve Maltemeyer this morning. In fact, I'll tell you, the last thing I wanted to do this morning was get up in front of a thousand people and preach. Last thing I wanted to do. But I did it. I did it because my God is faithful and my God gives me strength. And I did it because I really believe in taking ownership and responsibility for my wife, my life. And I can tell you that my wife, Becky, is doing the same thing. She has been serving this entire morning and she didn't feel like coming here any more than I did. I'm not telling you that to brag. It's nothing to brag about. It's just telling you that God is faithful. And God will give you the strength you need. And God will give you the wisdom you need. God will give you everything you need to live out this principle in your life. And if you do, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. I know. This is one I can say, I know. I know. And it can be true for every single one. Let's stand, and I'm going to pray, and the worship team is going to come out, and we're going to finish our time in worship this morning, okay? 
Father, bottom line here this morning is I praise you that you're, you are so faithful to all of us. And Father, none of us need to live like we're victims. Every one of us can live like we're victorious. Because you're God and you'll give us the strength that we need. You're almighty God. And I praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.